But welcome once again to Mill City. My name is Pastor Ashish, and I'm excited to lead us through the word this morning. But would you join me, and let's start our time with some prayer here. Jesus, it says in your word to be still and know that you are God. And so thank you for this moment to just be still and to listen and to learn what you have in store for us. So God, would you guide the rest of our time? We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, two years ago, my wife, and, uh, my wife Anna and I had an opportunity to travel to Colorado. And while we were there, we thought, you know what sounds like a really great vacation activity? Hiking sand dunes. And so we journeyed to the Great Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado. And if you haven't been there, it's stunning. You drive up and there are beautiful white mounds of sand against the dark green of the mountains. But this trip wasn't just to look at the sand dunes. No, we decided we wanted to climb the sand dunes. And not just climb any dune. Anna and I are both achievement-driven, and so we thought we are going to climb the tallest sand dune, one of the tallest. Ended up being around 650 feet tall. So you can see a picture of us actually on the screen. Um, you can see the joy, the exuberance, like, we're going to do it. You can also see the innocence. We have no idea what's about to come. So we started climbing, and if I could describe it, it was like running on a beach except going uphill. Every step we took, we slipped a foot back as the sand beneath us gave way. And not only that, but it was the middle of the summer, and so the temperature was around 90 degrees, and with no cloud in sight, the sun was just beating down on us. But wait, there's more. Did I mention that we were around 8,000 feet above sea level? And so every step we took higher, it became harder and harder to breathe. And every step we took higher, the wind also grew stronger. And so the wind was whipping the sand against our legs. It made us resonate with one TripAdvisor reviewer who said, and I quote, it was the best and worst experience of their lives. 4.5 stars. <laughs> now, we actually took a picture when we got back. And you can see that picture there. Uh, let's zoom in on my face a little bit. I am gritting my teeth, smiling for the camera. But inside, you can see my eyes. I'm dead inside. I am exhausted. I am wiped out. Now, I haven't hiked a sand dune since then. But to be honest, I think sometimes walking through life can feel like you're hiking a sand dune where every step forward is on shaky ground, where the demands of the day, the stressors and worries are like the sun beating down on us, where the lack of resources and sleep make it seem like we're hiking in thinner air, struggling to breathe, and where constant phone alerts or news stories or even people's opinions can feel like the wind whipping up against our legs. If that resonates with you, if it's become normal to feel like you are walking around feeling like you have a low-grade exhaustion everywhere you go, you're not alone. Some people have started to call it a pandemic of exhaustion. A study done by the American Psychological Association showed that three in five people feel mentally and emotionally exhausted. And they looked specifically at burnout in employees and found that specifically in helping professions, they reported 36% reported cognitive weariness, 32% emotional exhaustion, and 44% reported 
physical fatigue. And it's not just in the workplace, but I was led to another article that talked about how even everyday activities like parenting can lead to deep feelings of burnout. Even if you're not feeling exhausted in this moment, these stats show us that someone in our life probably is. We live in an exhausted world. Yet there's a tension because in the midst of that, what we read in Scripture was that in a restless world, we were made for rest. And so we seek it out. We try to go on vacation. We turn to podcasts or go to products. And while they often provide good practices or a temporary relief, soon we're back hiking the sand dunes of life. And I'm left to wonder, is there a lasting rest out there that we can feel on a soul-deep level? I wonder if the people Jesus was talking to in this morning's passage were asking the same question. And as we'll see, Jesus answers their question with an invitation, but that invitation is also a really high challenge. To the question of, is there true lasting rest that we can enjoy? Jesus answers, true rest, lasting rest, is found in me. Or this morning, we're going to look at true rest is found specifically by apprenticing Jesus. That's our big idea this morning. We're going to unpack that in our text today. So this morning, our passage is found in the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. And so if you have a Bible or you can look at the Bibles in the pews in front of you or you can turn to an app, we'll be there this morning. As always, the verses will be on the screen behind me. Now, at this point in our story, Jesus' popularity had grown. He was not just talking to his closest friends, but who we call the disciples, but now he was talking to a large crowd full of different groups of people. If we were to look at this crowd, we would see the disciples, the men and women who had chosen to respond to Jesus' call, come follow me. But we would also see the doubters. Earlier in this chapter, we see disciples from other teachers who in the first part asked Jesus, are you the one who we were expecting? Are you the king or the savior that was promised? In this crowd, there were also the critical or the religious leaders who were wary of this teacher upsetting the status quo. But you also had those who were craving good news, the poor, the lonely, the outcast who were seeing the kingdom of God in their midst. The disciples, the doubters, the critical, and those who were craving good news. Maybe you see yourself in that crowd this morning. Now, while they all came from different places, I believe there was something that united them all. I believe that all of them were longing for rest. See, the people of Israel at that moment were under the thumb of the oppressive Roman Empire, of rulers that didn't care for them, who took more than they gave. And what we read in the New Testament is that the people were awaiting the promised Messiah, the Savior, the one who would not only set them free, but establish his kingdom of restoration justice and peace, ultimately his kingdom of rest. And so it's to this crowd longing for rest that Jesus begins to speak. And we read about this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. So Matthew says this, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I know maybe these next verses sound familiar. Jesus goes on to say, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So before Jesus' invitation, Jesus starts with a revelation. He reveals the heart of the Father, the heart of God. He says, I praise you because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. This is what you were pleased to do. For Jesus, the answer to true rest wasn't just given to those with status or money or the intellectual elite. It wasn't bad that they were wise or had knowledge, but their lives were so cluttered that they couldn't see the kingdom of God in their midst, the Savior they were longing for walking amidst them. No, Jesus says this news was for the outcast, the poor, the innocent, the dependent, those society would deem worthless. Jesus explains to them that God's heart is for those who have nothing, longing to give them everything. So Jesus reveals the heart of the Father and then goes on to reveal that he is the only way to know this God. It's a bold claim setting him apart from any other normal teacher. Jesus says, this is who God is. This is who I am. And then Jesus follows this revelation with an invitation. And this is what some scholars call the great invitation. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this in the message translation. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. See, this is where discipleship to Jesus starts, or where apprenticeship to Jesus starts. Now, apprentice might not be a word you hear normally. Maybe the last time you heard the word apprentice was actually in Star Wars. And if that's you, you're thinking, Ashish, you're taking this fandom way too far, bringing this into your big idea this morning. But a quick Google search of apprenticeship can reveal a lot of apprenticeship opportunities here in our city. For example, there is an electrician apprenticeship or a business apprenticeship you can be a part of. This morning as we talk about apprentice, I think a definition is helpful. An apprentice is defined as someone who commits to following a skilled worker to learn their ways and their practices. Not just committing to learning it intellectually, but actually living it out, learning their ways and practices. And this more accurately represents who the disciples were. They weren't just gaining head knowledge, but when Jesus invited them to follow him, their experience was life on life. Learning and putting into practice what they saw Jesus physically embody and teach. The thing I love about apprenticeship is that it is calibrated around a person, not a leadership strategy. And notice how Jesus emphasizes this. Come to me, not to a philosophy, not to a set of rules or practices, but come to me. Jesus knows that we were created for rest. That God commands us to rest and says, hey, that rest starts by coming to me, walking with me, learning from me. Apprentice me and I will show you true rest. So this is where apprenticeship starts, coming to Jesus but then apprenticeship continues. Jesus continues to describe what it looks like to follow him. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now, quick point of clarification. 
we are not talking about this yoke or egg yolks. We are talking about this yoke or the yoke on oxen. I would love to say I knew that they were spelled differently before this week, but I found out when I was talking, it gets worse. I was talking to my homeschool teacher or mother and giving her this, and she's like, you know those are spelled differently. And I was like, I guess they are. So in case you didn't know, those are the two, two yokes. But we're, we're talking about the yoke on an ox. And now a yoke might seem like a foreign concept, but it would have been really familiar to the first century listener. As an agrarian society, they would be familiar with what a yoke was. A yoke was a farming instrument that was put on two oxen to help them pull a cart or plow a field. You can even imagine the golden arches of McDonald's flipped upside down, put a bar of wood on top of it. That's what a yoke would look like. Now, in the first century, every teacher or rabbi had a metaphorical yoke to give his apprentices. These were their specific set of teachings on how to be human, how to shoulder the weight of life, how to navigate topics like marriage and prayer, finances, government, and so much more. So when usually a young man decided to apprentice a teacher, they would take on that teacher's specific set of teachings as their yoke or rule of life to live by. But if I'm listening in the crowd, I'm wondering, well, wait a minute, Jesus, you're talking about a work instrument or yoke, but you started to talk about rest. This, this feels a little awkward. What actually are you doing here? Well, I believe Matthew scholar Frederick Dale Brunner explores this tension, and I believe he gets to Jesus' heart. You can read his quote on the screen here. Brunner says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. A fresh way to bear responsibilities. And I love this part. He says, instead of offering an escape, Jesus offers equipment. Instead of offering an escape, Jesus actually offers equipment. Now, Jesus knows that getting away is necessary. In fact, Jesus modeled this to his disciples. Frequently, they would get away to pray or to touch base with each other. But he also knew that the burdens of life will keep coming. And so his response is not to give them more ways to escape, but to give them a whole new way to carry life. His yoke. Here at Mill City, we sum up Jesus' yoke as Jesus' words, his works, and his ways that we see throughout the New Testament. And if we were to sum that up even more, Jesus' yoke is a life of self-giving love towards God and our neighbor. So this is Jesus' yoke. The apprenticeship starts by coming to Jesus, then taking on the yoke. But the apprenticeship continues. Jesus says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus goes on and says, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I love the message paraphrase of this verse. It reads, Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Not just walk, not just work, but walk with me. Work with me. Watch me, learn from me. Now, when a farmer was training a younger ox, what the farmer would do would be construct a special yoke that would fit that young ox. 
And then he would attach that yoke to another yoke that was made to fit a mature ox. And then he would pair these two oxen together. And what would happen was the yoke was designed so that the mature ox would bear the weight of the load. And the young ox would be able to walk alongside that ox. To learn from the ox, match the rhythm, set its eyes where that ox was going, and learn how to carry the weight of life. Now, it was common for a teacher to give his disciples a yoke. But here's the difference with Jesus. Jesus doesn't just give us equipment to carry alone. The new way of life that Jesus offers is one where he steps under the yoke with us. And he carries the weight of the burdens, the weight of life with us. And he invites us to walk alongside him, to work from him, to learn from him. To follow his life of self-giving love and let that love overflow to those around us. And here's the beautiful thing. As we walk alongside him, we're empowered by the Spirit to become more like Jesus. And Jesus says, this leads to a life of rest. If I were to talk about a life of rest, I think a life of rest is described as this. A life of abiding love. A life of resilient joy. Of life with access to peace that passes understanding. And ultimately where we are aware and experience the steadfast presence of God. That is what true rest looks like. And so Jesus answers this long and he says, true rest is found by apprenticing me. And so what does that mean for us as we head into this week, as we end our series on rest? The passage reminds us that rest is not something we can just do in a moment, but rest is actually a lifestyle. It's a life lived by apprenticing Jesus. But what does that mean when you leave this room and head home? Or what does that mean even on a Wednesday in the middle of your work week? Well, apprenticing Jesus in our everyday spaces involves three steps. And Jesus lays them out beautifully in this passage. So we're going to go through them again. Jesus says, come to me, take up my yoke, and learn from me. So first thing we can do is we can come to Jesus. Now, this is the first move. It's really tempting to just skip to the second step of take on the yoke. I'm going to skip to doing. And I know it's tempting because I've done it. But Jesus says, I want you to start with being. It's impossible to live out a life of self-giving love without first receiving that love from Jesus for yourself. I love how one author puts it. He talks about the great commandment, the way to live out the yoke, as to being to love God and love our neighbor. But he says the great commandment without the great invitation is the great setup. The great commandment without the great invitation is the great setup. Because without the great invitation, the yoke actually is heavy. And the grace actually seems forced. And so we need to first start with being, with receiving Jesus' love for us. And what joy to know that that love isn't held back. Jesus says, you reveal this to little children. This is what you were pleased to do. So maybe this morning, this is the first time you're hearing about this rest that Jesus offers. The first time you're hearing about a new way to bear life, not centered around a strategy, not a practice, but a person. And if that's you, Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. Maybe you've heard this passage hundreds and hundreds of times, but right now it feels like life is an uphill climb, or it feels like life is falling apart. If that's you, Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. Maybe this morning you are starting to rebuild what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. And it's confusing. It's disorienting. It's exhausting. If that's you, Jesus says, come to me. 
I will give you rest. And maybe you feel like an outsider. And you're sitting in this room and you're thinking, there's no way that this invitation is for me. Jesus doesn't know what I've been through. Jesus doesn't know who I am. If that's you, Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. And maybe this morning life is all good. You have a good community. You have good rhythms. Life is going well. Jesus still says, come to me. I will give you rest. To every single person, Jesus sees the weariness in the midst of a pandemic of exhaustion. And he says, come to me. So as you look ahead this week, the first question I want us to reflect on is, how is Jesus inviting me to connect with him? To spend time with someone who loves us, to spend time with someone who is with us. And there are practices that can help us do this. For me, it's been prayer. This week specifically, I've prayed the prayer, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me direction. And it's a way that I'm continually able to be aware of where God is moving and continuing to connect myself to Jesus. So it could be prayer. It could also be walking through nature. It could be listening through music. It could be journaling. It could be gathering with people that listen and love you and just talking with them. If you're unsure of where to start, Pastor Steph actually wrote a blog, and you can find it at millcitychurch.com slash blog, and it's called Rest with God. And there are all these practices that you can try out. Now this looks different for each of us because we serve a loving God who has created each of us uniquely to connect with him. But what's true for all of us is that we're all created to rest with God. And so this week, how is Jesus inviting you to connect with him? So that's the first step. And then second, once we come to Jesus, we take on Jesus' yoke. We model our lives after his words, his works, and his ways. Now, you may have heard the phrase, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You might have actually a bracelet of that phrase in your basement. But one thing I realized is that I often hear that phrase when I'm doing something wrong. And so it's like, ashish, what would Jesus do in that situation? And oftentimes that question can lead to a lot of shame. But remember, the yoke doesn't lead to shame. The yoke leads to rest. And if it is leading to shame, maybe it's an invitation to return to Jesus again and receive his love, receive his grace, receive his forgiveness, and then live out from that place. So back to WWJD, I think that question is, seems really distant, and so I've tried to bring it closer to my life. And a helpful question for me to ask this week has been, what would Jesus do if he were you? WWJD. F-H-W-Y. <laughs> so for me, I know that the Bible doesn't talk about what Jesus did as a 20-something. I know Jesus wasn't married, and it seems like Jesus chose carpentry instead of music. And so on the surface, I think, are there actually clear instructions for how I'm supposed to live out my life in this life stage right now? And I think we're able to look back at the New Testament, look at the way that Jesus lived his life, look at the things that he valued, and while we don't see what Jesus did in maybe our specific life stage, I think we're able to ask, what would Jesus do if he were me? And so this week, I started to ask, what would Jesus do if he were married to Anna? How would he love her? What would Jesus do if he were friends to my friends? How would he serve them? What would Jesus do if he were writing this sermon? How would he approach this topic? What would Jesus do if he were living in Northeast? How would he interact with my neighbors? And for Anna and I this week, it's been, what would Jesus do if he was hunting for a house? How would he approach that? 
Now, this was hard because so easy, it's really easy for me to just go on autopilot and to think, okay, I know what I'm doing. I don't need to ask that question. But when I stopped and paused and asked this question, I found myself noticing ways that I could love the people in my life. I found Jesus removed stress from my life that I wasn't supposed to be carrying. And ultimately, I did feel more empowered. I did feel more rested because I remembered that in the middle of my life, I'm not carrying these worries alone. So Jesus knows your life. He knows your circumstance. And the yoke he empowers us to carry is a life of self-giving love towards those around us. And so what does that look like for you this week? At work, as a parent, as a student, as an empty nester, or as someone who has been retired. In your everyday spaces, what would Jesus do if he were you? Whether you're nine years old or 99 years old, Jesus invites us to take up a yoke specifically designed by the great carpenter for you. Now, one thing I also have to add is that taking up the yoke might also involve letting something go. Grace is unforced, but grace does shake things up. And we might have to reorder the schedule of our lives in order to reorient our lives to Jesus. When I think of this, I think about three years ago when I decided to train for a marathon. And if I had just decided to add that marathon training on my own busy life, I would have hurt myself. And in fact, I did hurt myself because I was so busy that I forgot to buy new shoes. And so as I was running, I actually hurt my foot and the doctor told me, you might not even be able to run this marathon because you didn't prepare your life in order to do this. I had to reorder my life in order to train well, in order to finish well. Last week, Pastor Paul talked about this imagery of pruning. How God, like a great gardener, sometimes removes things from our lives so that we can more fully step into the new life that Jesus offers. And so as you look ahead to this week, as you look ahead to the fall and all the busy things that are coming up, is there something that God is inviting you to let go of, to trust him with, in order to be an apprentice to Jesus? Now this is hard. But when talking about reordering our lives, I love what John Mark Comer says. He says, in Jesus' case, it's worth the cost. In fact, you get back far more than you give up. Yes, there's a cross, a death, but it's followed by an empty tomb, a new portal of life. Because in the way of Jesus, death is always followed by resurrection. So this morning, what do you have to let go of in order to take up Jesus' yoke? And finally, third step of apprenticeship, we learn from Jesus. Now, this is the coolest part about being an apprentice. Not only do we have access to relationship, not only do we receive a new way of life, but Jesus actually walks with us. Like a mature ox walking alongside the young ox, Jesus bears the weight of life with us as we work with him, watch him, and learn from him. And as we do that, Scripture reminds us that we become more like him. And just like a young ox is looking where the old ox is going and keeping in step with that ox, our invitation this morning is to fix our eyes on Jesus and to keep moving with him. Now, this past week I got to take care of this beautiful dog named Millie. Now, Millie is an eight-month-old puppy, but don't let the word puppy confuse you. She is 65 pounds. And so walking her was literally no small task. There would be moments where I'd be walking her and she'd pick up a scent and she'd dash after whatever that scent was. And because she is 65 pounds, she'd yank me off balance. But because I am also more than 65 pounds, I would yank her off balance. And it was this really uncomfortable walk. 
Now, I wasn't trying to pull her back to be mean, but I was trying to keep her by my side so that she wouldn't eat something she wasn't supposed to or step on something painful. And one of the things her owners thought us was that if you said, Millie, eyes on me, she would walk by your side and turn towards you. Now, I think it was less because she admired me and more because of the treats that I had in my pocket that I was going to give her if she obeyed. But when her eyes were on me, we were able to have a really enjoyable walk together. Sometimes I feel like Jesus is saying, Ashish, eyes on me. Learn from me. It's really easy to take the yoke and say, Jesus, I got this. I'm going to run ahead. But being an apprentice of Jesus is realizing that this is not just about learning in a moment, but being a lifelong learner. And so a final question to reflect on this morning is where is Jesus inviting me to learn from him? Jesus knows the people you're with. He knows where he's placed you. So is there an everyday space that he's saying, learn from me, eyes on me, watch me. Trust the Spirit's guidance in your life and let my Spirit shape you to become more like me to the people around you. So Jesus invites us to apprentice him. And as we do that this week, even as we end our time in worship, would we ask, how is Jesus inviting me to connect with him? What do I have to let go of in order to take up Jesus' yoke? And finally, where is Jesus inviting me to learn from him? As we end, I'm going to invite the worship team up. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, the sand dunes of life are inevitable. But we don't walk it alone. In the midst of a restless world, Jesus gives us a new way to carry life. And not a way to carry life alone, but a way to carry life with him. And as we carry life with Jesus, we become like Jesus to the people around us. And when I think of this world, honestly, I think this world needs more hope. It needs more love. And it honestly needs more of that lasting rest. And so as we end our series, we've been through this topic for the last four weeks. Would this not just be a series that we say, okay, we covered rest with God. Let's just check that off the list. But would this be the beginning of a lifestyle following and apprenticing Jesus till Jesus returns? Amen?